Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. It wasn't long ago, less than 10 years, that record labels used to send us dozens and dozens of unsolicited CDs in the mail. So many unsolicited CDs. And uh, obviously, we all know why record labels aren't spending any more money on thousands and thousands of free CDs for radio producers and DJs and music critics and so on and so forth. But it was a nice time in my life. (laughs) Uh, That was actually how I heard about my next guest. I was doing this show out of my apartment in Los Angeles, and we got a CD. It's a black and white photograph on the cover, a picture of a man's hand. And on the hand, there is a woman's face. The band was called Black Moth Super Rainbow, and the title was Eating Us. And I listened to it mostly because I thought the cover was interesting. I had no idea what to expect. It turned out it was great rich and kind of dirty and unsettling. There are all these old synthesizers and bits of tape distortion and weird processed vocals. They sound a bit like Boards of Canada or maybe David Bowie or Nine Inch Nails. It's very difficult to describe, but I couldn't stop listening. excited to book an interview. I mean, who was Black Moth Super Rainbow? So I asked the publicist, and the publicist (laughs) emailed me back very politely. Sorry, they don't want to do any publicity at all. In fact, when they perform, they wear masks. So I just tabled it. As it turns out, Black Moth Super Rainbow is basically this one guy. His name is Tom. He lives in a house in Pittsburgh. He records also as Tobacco and has put out a bunch of albums under that name. If you've seen the show Silicon Valley on HBO, there's a Tobacco song in the opening credits. Anyway. Last year, Tobacco finally joined us for an interview. We're so glad he did. When we spoke, he just released the record Panic Blooms with his band Black Moth Super Rainbow. Tobacco has a new solo album dropping later this month called Hot, Wet, and Sassy. We thought it would be a good time to revisit our conversation. Here's a track from Tobacco's new record. It's called Centaur Skin. Tom Tobacco, welcome to Bullseye. It's nice to have you on the show. Thanks. Thanks. What was your first instrument? Guitar. I think I was like 15. Cousin taught me how to play. Where'd you get it? I think I got it for Christmas. I'd kind of been into music for a couple years. I don't know. My parents thought it'd be a good idea. Maybe do something constructive. I read a story somewhere that you were you were talking about 
hitting your teenage years and your dad got you a subscription to CMJ, the College Music Journal, I think it was, and just listening to the CD that came with it every month. And it's like an unusual version of the I had an older sister story as to where you learned that music was more than just what was on the radio. Yeah, I miss that. I miss that magazine. Yeah, I found everything through that. Um, this was like probably like one year before my parents had the internet. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. I wish it was still around. Did you have buddies that were into it? I mean, were there like punk rock kids or, you know, underground hip hop heads at your school or was it a solo pursuit? We were more into like, uh, you know, we were more like the Aphex Twin kind of kids. Aphex Twin, Otaker, Boards of Canada. That's probably why I got my first synth. I thought everything had to be done with a guitar for a long time. And then uh, that kind of changed everything. Were you recording yourself when you were playing as a teenager? I mean, your your music is so deeply connected to sounds on a recording. You know what I mean? Relative to writing a song to play at a party or something. Yeah, it's all about it's all about the recording. That's like my world. That's why I take that part of it like so seriously because that's what you know. That's what it all is to me. Yeah, I never, never saw myself playing live. Never. Never thought I would be on stage. Never wanted to be on stage. It's it's still still like not in love with being on stage. What was the first synthesizer that you got? It was a, uh, a Yamaha CS5. It's probably the only one I could afford at the time. Super cheap. I don't know how much they are now, but uh, I remember it being like really cheap back then, like 2003, maybe 2002, like 50 bucks maybe. What could it do? It was a monosynth, and I didn't know what that meant. Uh, so it could only play one note at a time. I didn't know what any of the knobs did. I just turned them until they sounded <laughs> until it sounded the way I wanted it to. You know, it couldn't do much. But uh, there's a Black Moth album called Start of People, and pretty much the whole thing was made on that. Most of it, at least. Did you have buddies that you were making music with? You know, throughout, like, uh, throughout everything I've been doing, there's always been people around. But, like, at the end of the day, I always made it. 99.9% of it, I made it alone. I just never knew how to be in a band. I still don't. I wish I could sometimes, but uh, I don't know. It's like, I've, it's like I have something to prove something. I'm not sure. What happens when you try to be in a band? I mean, you you are in a band in the sense that when you tour either as Tobacco or as Black Moth Super Rainbow, you're, both of those are not just you on stage, but what happens when you try to <laughs> work with other people? Like once every like four years or something, you know, in, in rehearsal, we'll, we'll decide like, oh, maybe we should try to, uh, we should try to like write something 
on the spot. And it becomes like the worst burden. And it's probably me bringing it down because I just, I can't feel it. You know, I can't, I think I need to be in, I think I just need to be in my space or something. I don't know. I had a friend in college who was always noodling around on his guitar, watching like a, a UHF rerun of news radio or whatever. Then one day, I think his uh, junior year of college, he like came, he's like, hey guys, I, uh, I made an album. <laughs> and we were like, we didn't even know you were writing songs. I just thought you were like playing Led Zeppelin riffs to entertain yourself. And I wonder when did you start making the music that you were making public? Pretty early, too early. Like as soon as my parents got the internet, I found like, there was this website called mp3.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone like me who like wasn't ready to be uploading their stuff would upload their stuff. I just thought I always believed in it. Even if it, when you know, you look back on it now and it's like, some of it's terrible. But I, it was like, as soon as it was done, I wanted to get it out there. And I think that's, I don't think that's a good thing. I think that's, uh, if, if I could change one thing, I would probably go back and like stop myself and like try to like curate and wait until things got a little better. Cause I think you kind of shoot yourself in the foot when you put yourself out, you know, when you, when you're putting your, your first ideas that haven't really had any time to marinate, you kind of run the risk of turning people off to what you do. Cause it's that first impression thing, you know? So why do you think you put out your music too early? Were people being mean to you about it? No, I just wasn't, I wasn't fully formed. It was a little premature. My lungs weren't developed all the way. I don't know. Just looking back on some of the stuff now, it's like, ah, like had I just waited like a year, maybe. But that's my own, like everything I ever do, I'm always going to look back on it critically and wish I had done it a different way. Do you have a hard time embarrassing yourself? I don't know. I mean, I'd, <laughs> I, I probably embarrass myself every single time I'm on stage and uh, <laughs> I get paid for it. What was it like the first time that you went on tour? The first time we went on tour, it was uh, pretty surreal. We weren't all getting along that great. And um, we had been asked by the Flaming Lips to go out for a month. That was 2007. So that being my first tour was um, hard to process. 
I can think about it now and like, like man, I like did not deserve to be there in any way. <laughs> Had you done much live performing at all at that point? We would do like two shows a year, like locally, or like sometimes we would go to Chicago. We had done like three or four years of a few shows every year. So like probably, I don't know, like 10 shows or something by that point. How big, I mean, how big a room were the Flaming Lips playing in 2007? I mean, did you just step in front of a 1500 seat theater or whatever? It was more than that. It was like, I mean, first off, like at that point in my life, like anything over like 200 people seemed like huge to me. So I think, I think our first show with them, it was in this place called the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. And I don't know how many people it is, but it's got to be more than 5,000. It was crazy. I did not deserve to be there. Why do you think you didn't deserve to be there? I don't know. (laughs) Imposter syndrome? I don't know. I mean, was it because you weren't prepared to put on a show that merited 3,000 people watching it? Or was it because you feel like you had some kind of moral failing? (laughs) I feel like maybe like, even though like we had been together for a while, for like a few years, and like a lot of practicing in the basement, and like we knew what we were doing, but I don't know, it just felt like we like hadn't like worked for it or something, even though we had. Like I said, it's imposter syndrome. Like, like everything. I'll, I'll, like, I'll tell you, I don't deserve anything. Were you already anonymizing yourselves at, at that point in the band's history? Yeah. I mean, it's not like there was any need. Like, <laughs> it's not like anyone cared. Uh, we were anonymous. We didn't have to tell people we were being anonymous. Um, I, I forget exactly when I picked out the name Tobacco, but um, I had a DVD on that tour for sale. It was the first tobacco album like a year before it came out, but it was put to video. Um, So I was that person or thing by that time. How did you decide how you were going to present yourself besides just that it wasn't going to be, you know, your government name? Like how we were on stage? Yeah. I mean, I feel like Kiss probably did some marketing surveys. figured out so was oh yeah are you okay I'm the, I'm the demon he's the cat you know but what did you do did you did you go to the drugstore at halloween and pick out a pick out a mask and go from there or did you pick out a name and think about what it meant to you and like what were the steps it was all kind of natural everybody's name meant something to them at the time and and everyone had like their own um solo thing so that's mainly what everyone went by like whatever their solo project was called um but the mask thing that was like we didn't wear masks as much as it was written about that we wore masks i can really only remember wearing a mask like maybe like two or three times if you write about yourself in a certain way i didn't learn this until way after the fact like people just like they start to just believe that i guess and someone had written about us wearing masks and so that's just kind of followed us through you know over the past 10 years but we mainly just hide you know, it's like, it's like none of us like love being on stage. I know that I would rather, it's really nice to play for people who want to hear what you're doing, that they would even give you that opportunity. But, uh, I'm just not, I'm not that guy, you know, I'm just not comfortable. We have even more with tobacco. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Voting is crucial. 
give a damn how you look at it. Is this a man? It was we, the people. The land of the free and the home of the brave. Not we, the white male citizens. Misrepresentative Democracy. A new series about voting in America from NPR's Throughline. Listen now. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably, even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares, only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your news overload. Available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Tom Feck. He's a musician and songwriter. He records as Tobacco. His new album, Hot, Wet, and Sassy, is out on October 30th. Here's another track from the new Tobacco record. This is Headless to Headless. When people come up to you after a show and tell you what your music means to them, are you able to accept what they say? Yeah, um, it sort of. Sometimes all I can do is stand there and just keep saying thank you because I don't know, I don't know how to like live up to maybe what they think I am or uh, you know the things that my music means to them. I I'm not always sure that I can live up to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I I mean I can accept it. But uh, it's, I mean, that's like, I really, especially like the past few years, I've really grown to appreciate that. Like when people tell me stories, like, you know, like the last Black Month album uh, had a lot to do with depression, stuff like that. And uh, a lot of people coming up to me talking about that. And it's like, it was just, it was really nice. I have a really hard time hearing it. I mean, I hear it, like it doesn't make me mad or anything. I just have a really hard time being present when people are speaking to me in that way. And then I feel guilty about the fact that I am having a hard time being present with them when this is an important thing. I think it was like that for me because I just didn't know how to take it. Some kind of switch flipped. You can just, I don't know. It's like, like now I can just focus in like completely on them, you know, try to like really listen. It's like meditation or something. How do you think you got there? What changed? Maybe making a record that that wasn't so ambiguous. I think making a piece of work that uh, had like a really strong meaning. To me, that's like kind of corny, but it kind of opened my eyes to some things. And um, yeah, it it just changed the way I was able to interact with some people because of the way they come at it. It's, it's not anymore. It's not just like some, like a hippie person coming up to you, like talking about how much they love to listen to my music on acid. It's like someone who 
went through some stuff and uh, they relate to some things I'm saying as, you know, as weird kind of out there as some of the things I say uh, on that album. It all makes sense, I think, maybe when you've been through that stuff. It must have been hard for you as somebody who was pretty invested in putting up a separation between your art and the voice of your art and your personal self to make a more thematically direct record. I mean, like, you know, on Black Moth Super Rainbow albums, not only are you performing as a pseudonym on the record, and not only are, you know, many of the beautiful things arced and warped and twisted in some way, and not only, you know, you're also singing through, uh, through heavy processing, so your voice is more an instrument than it is a direct reflection of yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you had gone through a lot of steps to, to be one step to the, to have yourself be one step to the side of, of your art. And it must have been tough to make something that was more about you. Yeah, I mean, but also like as serious as that one was, and even though some of the other ones weren't so serious, it kind of also helped me realize that like that stuff, it's always been about me. I just didn't even know it at the time. It didn't click because like I had no interest in making a new Black Moth record. I was, I was done at Cobra Juicy. And that was 2012. And whatever was going on in my head kind of forced me to make Panic Blooms. And I knew it was a direct result of the way I was feeling. And it, I don't know, I guess it made me look at everything differently. And this is all kind of new, like realizing that all along it's just been me. Like that's all kind of new. But yeah. What were the feelings that you were having that led directly to that music? I mean, it's nothing different from what most people deal with, you know. I was beating myself up pretty hard. And because of it, I wasn't sleeping and it's kind of making me like deteriorate, you know, the less you sleep, the worse off you are. And I just got into this really weird, just kind of never ending like fog. You could feel it. And it took me a little while to get out of it. I won't get into like why, I mean, but yeah, I think like having your brain kind of change like that uh, a little bit, cause it does. I think it does change your brain a little bit. Um, changes perspective sometimes. Did something precipitate that happening? I don't even, it wasn't even like an event. I guess I wasn't keeping myself busy during that time. 
sometimes you need a purpose, I think. And there have been times where I haven't always had a purpose and that was one of them. And, uh, it wasn't, but it wasn't any like specific thing. It was just, uh, probably the way I always am, but letting it take over, giving it, you know, giving it that kind of power to take over because I didn't have anything else to distract it with. So a lot of times depression can take away one's will to get out and make stuff happen in the world. You know, it's a very broad category, but like I'm basically talking about leaving the house, you know, and that is also that is also kind of a condition of being a musician who works alone and loves to tinker with sounds. Like, that also isn't a lifestyle that requires a lot of leaving the house. You know what I mean? Right. So do you find it hard when your get up and go is at low ebb? Do you find it hard that your, you know, that your lifestyle doesn't require you to go to the office every day or whatever it is that might break things up a little? I've been there. Not anymore. Through all that, I kind of learned how to take care of myself. So that doesn't happen anymore. I definitely had a few periods where I'll just like not, I can't even, I have no interest in turning the equipment on, trying to write something. But uh, I don't know. I keep myself busy. I don't really like, I don't go to shows or anything, but like, I don't know. We do enough stuff. What kind of stuff do you like to do? I like to go to the thrift store. I've always been like really big on fitness ever since I was in high school. So that's like, man, that's like 20 years now of this stuff. So I spent a lot of my time like studying that stuff and doing that stuff. I don't know. I think it'd be cool. Like right now I'm like working on trying to get a certification, like ACE certified to become a uh, personal trainer. Not that I would ever use it because I can't imagine like actually <laughs> training someone. Uh, it would just be fun to have that, be able to flash that, you know? I don't know if you get a card, but I would love to, be able to flash that card. <laughs> What are the things that you like to do at the gym or health wise? Everything. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, a, it's like, I think that world is kind of like, there's always new, there are always new movements being invented. Even though you think like the body can only move so many ways, like someone's always coming up with some new thing or new, new way of doing things. And that stuff has always been interesting to me. So I think if I went into a record store and I was looking for your record, they would probably be in a section labeled uh, psychedelic rock or something like that. What is your relationship and your music's relationship to 
psychedelia as a phenomenon? Like how, how much is that of interest to you? Oh man, it's like you knew to ask me that. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't like that stuff. It's not like, <laughs> did you know to ask me that? Well, I'm, I'm professional. I'm doing my best. I do not uh, associate like Black Moth. That's where that people like to categorize that. It's not the kind of music I listen to. It's I, like I said, I was like, I was always like an Aphex, Otaker, Boards of Canada guy. And I always saw what I was doing as like my spin in that world. It didn't really work out that way because I don't think I'm really in that conversation. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. The psych stuff is not really for me. Like with a lot of psych music, like the melodies and the songwriting was always like so just trying to like recapture the way people did things in the 60s and not really ever like expanding on it. I don't know. It's just so much of that stuff is so boring. Did you always have the instinct when you make something pretty to make it change it so it's more ugly? No, that comes with um, that came with age and and starting to get bored by the simplicity of um, certain sounds and melodies and uh, I just I just think I think when you are so when you're up front it can be so boring. I don't know. I try to get I've, I've tried to get better and better at uh, not hiding it but finding all the nooks and crannies. That are in there. Yeah, I read something where you were talking about wanting to make music that the person listening to it has the experience of still processing and working on it in their heads after the song has ended or the the record has ended. And that made sense to me. I was like I kind of understood that idea that, that you want to you want to give people something that grows inside them afterwards rather than disappearing. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, when you put it all out there, even like lyrically, like if you just put it all out there and everything is straightforward and everything makes sense and everything's finished and everything's done, that's all there is to it. And for some people that's fine. That'll stick. That'll resonate. When I was a kid, I liked not knowing what people were saying because your mind fills in the blanks. And that's kind of how I write my lyrics is like, it's almost like stream of consciousness where you like, you might, you might not be saying anything, but it means so much and you don't know why. But I think that all kind of ties into the not being finished, you know? Are you interested in your music having a scary or discomforting quality? 
Like I think of, of all the music that I've listened to regularly in my life, yours is probably the prettiest that I also find a little disconcerting. <laughs> I don't want to be scary because I think like, I think people who try to be scary are usually pretty corny. I mean, I don't want you to be comfortable all the time because that's so boring. I don't know, it has to shake you up somehow. Not all the time. I'm not trying to be like a, like shocking or anything, but uh, I don't know. I mean, that's life too, right? It's like equal and opposite. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so happy to do it. We've like made an occasional request to have you on the show for since I was making it by myself in my apartment probably 11 years ago or something. <laughs> so I'm really nice. grateful we could finally make it happen. I really love your music. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I was like I was kind of surprised when I saw the list of people you guys interview. I was like why would they ever talk to me? <laughs> I mean, the answer is because you've been on the list for you've been on the list for ten years. Thank you very much for doing it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Tobacco from last year. The Black Moth Super Rainbow records are wonderful, especially eating us. Uh, the Tobacco solo records are really great too. His new album, Hot, Wet, and Sassy, is available on October thirtieth. Here's another song from it. This one is called Babysitter, and it features Trent Reznor. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created in the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Here at my house, my son Frankie, age three, has committed full bore to the Halloween costume Ghost Pirate. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. He's away in the woods this week, far from all the rest of us. Jesus Ambrosio is filling in for him this week. Jordan Cowling is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team, thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. You can keep up with the show on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Search on those platforms for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. I'm on Twitter, at Jesse Thorne, and I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 